to a special episode of Alohomora, everyone. This is, if you didn't see by reading the title, this is a very special episode. We're talking about the theater of Cursed Child. I'm Allison Sigurd from Alohomora, and joining me is MuggleNet staffers Claire, Sophie, and Mary. So introduce yourself, you guys, to all the listeners, and let us know when you saw Cursed Child. Uh, hi guys, I'm Claire. Uh, I feature on Speak Beastie. I was one of the rotating hosts and I'm also one of the senior staffers heading up the London team, um, attending some of the events. It's good fun. Um, and I saw Cursed Child as part of one of those London events just over a week ago. I reviewed the show for the site um, last Wednesday. Oh, sorry. I'm Sophie. I'm a rotating host on Speak Beastie and also part of the news team for MuggleNet. And I saw it um, beginning of June. It was the second preview, so I think it was June the 11th and 14th. Hi, um, I'm Mary, and I am on the MuggleNet News team, and I saw Cursed Child on August 7th. And I saw it on June 30th, so they were about a month into previews um, and had about a month to go. So it's been a little bit, but I'm, I'm still trying to remember all of it because I keep replaying it on my head. <laughs> So, just general spoiler warning, everyone. Obviously, we're gonna, we all saw the show. Um, we're gonna talk about it. We might spoil some things. If you haven't read the script yet, haven't seen it yet, don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now <laughs> until you get there. Um, but for now, we're just gonna talk about what we thought about the show. The script itself, we might touch on a little bit, but we're gonna reserve that a little bit more for the Alohomara episodes that are coming up, where we're gonna dig into each act um, and each part. But what did you guys think of the show now that we've all seen it? Um, what were kind of your immediate reactions? So, Claire, how about you go first? You wrote MuggleNet's official review. Yeah, so if you've read the review, you'll know it's slightly grumpy. Uh, <laughs> I think I, part one, I liked. There were, there were some issues on the premise of the time travel wasn't my favorite thing, but by the end of it, my like, by the end of part one, my jaw was on the floor and I was like, okay, that was insane. I don't quite know how to process this. Then I went and spent two hours writing up the part one of my review and went back into theater. And, uh, I, <laughs> in the interval of part two, I sent, uh, Sophie and Allison some very, <laughs> uh, strong wounded messages, but like, borderline, I'm about to walk out. I hated part one of part two. Um, and, by the end of part two, I was getting quite grumpy um, because I just some of it just really bothered me. Since then, I have changed my mind. But yeah, my immediate reactions were loved part one, part two infuriated me. <laughs> Sophie, how about you? Um, yeah, I I loved it. I mean, I think I was just initial, my initial reaction was sort of just delight. I think to be in that world again and just to have those characters back again and just yeah it was really hard well it still is <laughs> it was really hard to sort of sum up how I felt and I knew some of it I didn't like but I think there were bits that just swayed me and also I had sort of three days to process part one before I saw part two. Oh, I can't believe which... you did that still <laughs> oh. <laughs> which I think oh. made quite a difference in the way I reacted maybe because I had so long to think about it I was just looking back at the notes I made afterwards. It was quite interesting to see what I thought. But yeah. For me, initially, I think I was I was pretty put off by the script. So going into it, I really wasn't sure what I was going to think of the play itself. 
But um, quickly, um, as part one began, I was like, okay, I like this. This is great. I actually enjoy this, which I was not expecting to react that way. Um, I saw both parts on the same day because it was a Sunday. So then going back in for part two, where that left off, it was sort of like, oh, yeah, let's go into the land of for Voldemort and Valor now, which <laughs> that was, that was, I think, one of the, I don't know, there were some parts of that that were a little bit weaker, I thought. Um, I thought part one overall was better. Um, but the second part of the play, I wasn't as much of a fan as I was the first part. Okay. Um, if anyone follows me on anything, you know that I've been raving about this for <laughs> two months now. Um, I loved it. I do definitely see its weak spots and I could see some of them while we were, um, while I was watching it. Uh, I too spent the intermission of part two with my head in my hands just going, oh no, oh no, oh no. Um, and, but actually walking out of part one, um, obviously we hadn't read the script yet, so it, it ends on that cliffhanger um, with Scorpius and Umbridge. And my friend who was with me and I, we walked out of the theater, went to go get dinner, and just sat there at a table going, oh my gosh, what is happening right now? For about three hours um, until we went in for part two. But yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was an absolute delight. Um, and I think a lot of that really comes from the actual production of it. Um, so that's our focus today. There's going to be four episodes of Alohomora that we're going to really dig into the script and the plot. Um, but what we're going to talk about is the things that make a show a show. So things like costuming, sets, the music, casting. Um, that's our focus for this episode. So the first thing we kind of want to talk about is costuming. Um, some of you have probably seen this. If you haven't seen the show yet, um, you've probably seen pictures. I thought the costuming was brilliant. I'm especially fond of the new Hogwarts uniforms. Um, yeah. What did you guys think? I agree. I loved the new Hogwarts uniforms as well. I thought they were great. I loved the jumpers and everything. And Yeah, <laughs> that's what I had to say. I love um, that the... I love that the sweaters are the house colours instead yes. of just grey. Right. Yeah, I loved that. It was really good. And the cloaks looked, the robes just looked really nice. And I don't know, it was just That great. moment at the very beginning where they're on King's Cross and they're all in muggle clothes and then they just pull on their hoodies yeah. and yes. it just, they become cloaks. Yes. It, that was the moment I was like, oh, it's magic. <laughs> it's probably the simplest <laughs> thing they had in the entire show. It's theatre magic. But, yeah. The whole, gu- the whole audience gasped at that point. I thought that was absolutely wonderful. But the cloaks worked beautifully especially with the movement which we'll talk about a bit later but uh, yeah I really loved the cloaks and I also I loved how Harry Ron and Hermione were all dressed um I loved yes. Hermione's skirts and very like fitted blazers um or jackets and then I thought Harry looked so dapper yeah <laughs> <his> coat and <laughs> suit and tie like, so dressed up um it was very different to I think stuff we've seen on screen um but also stuff that has been suggested in the books that wizards don't know how to dress themselves but I think it was always implied that maybe this generation were making a bit more of an effort to dress like muggles because <laughs> they didn't really want to prance around in capes all the time um but yeah I think they did that very well there were other ones that for me didn't work um uh I like I thought some of the um 
professors when they go back in time looked a bit naff and I think that probably comes down to the fact that they were multi-rolling so they just had to throw those roles those costumes on and they're temporary Mm. um but then on the flip side I did really enjoy um Umbridge's outfit she has a fabulous pink cape that cape I wanted so bad yeah and Hermione's pink coat oh my god I need that more than I need Newt's (laughs) blue coat I need Hermione's pink coat Uh, just superb I've seen a lot of people don't like Ginny's sweater which I think is so funny because I thought it was perfect Weasley (laughs) yeah I like them too oh Ginny (laughs) see I I didn't I mean I can I can see both sides of it like it kind of it felt very Stepford wife to me (laughs) Okay. <laughs> to, me, to me, that's not Jenny Weasley at all. Mm. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that one. Um, that didn't work for me. Um, but mostly, I, I did. I quite liked um, what Malfoy was wearing because that still felt wizard-like. Um, yeah, you wouldn't catch your average Muggle wearing that, <laughs> so it, that worked. <laughs> I think that worked for me well. Um, and I thought I thought something that was really clever was how they did Moaning Myrtle. So yeah. she's in you know grey dress, oh, yeah. but then like the costume and makeup that was added to that to make her look like she was a ghost, um, which I thought it, I did that it was incredibly clever because on it, it was very there was no special effects or lighting that made her look anything like anything more unusual. It was purely costume makeup and her brilliant performance on that wheelie thing that was like, yes. you know, um that worked. Yeah. Um so I thought that was that was pretty smart. And I, I, this there was a different sidetrack. I really liked the uh, the Hogwarts robes in uh, one of the few things I liked in the time travel scenes was the Hogwarts robes in the um under Voldemort. They were very kind of like futuristic Nazis. Yeah. And it worked quite well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really liked in um I was really impressed by with all the water parts, like mm. the lake and um, the Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, how they worked with the costumes and the makeup and everything with the water. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, I'm sure, I couldn't decide. I was like, okay, there's either a team of people backstage that every time someone gets out of one of these water scenes are just redoing everything, or they've got really good waterproof makeup <laughs> or something. <laughs> either way, impressive. <laughs> okay. Um, let's Let's kind of go to something that's, related sets um what were your guys' favorite sets i was so impressed by the whole stage setup yeah it worked incredibly well again this ties in with movement but when you're flitting between not just different locations so different places in hogwarts and and the ministry of magic but also flitting between times to have had big solid sets that they're flying in and out all the time just wouldn't have worked but the limited stuff they did have and the the efficiency with which they used it and I, i'm fairly sure this will be something you'll be referencing Alison. but the 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 stairs the staircases Love them. were brilliant oh. i think occasionally they were yes. overused but not only were they used to like give an element of time, but also for dramatic tension. When like uh, in one of the flashbacks, when um, or time travel scenes, where uh, Ron and Hermione are like talking and not talking, and they almost touch, and then the the the, uh, the staircase is moved, and it's just like oh, that was beautiful. Yeah, that was so oh, well that part, that part, <laughs> yeah. that was great. I was about to mention that if you weren't going to, <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. Also, um, when Albus and Scorpius keep passing each other, oh. but they never kind of meet. And they're just moving every... Oh my gosh, that one like hurt my heart so much. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Because they don't speak at all in that, do they? So it's just them passing each yeah. other. And, yeah. yeah. I also really appreciated all the clocks everywhere. Mm. Um, yeah. if, if you haven't seen it, listeners, uh, in the back, 
there's a large clock that's kind of the the centerpiece especially of the beginning um and then kind of the front pieces there's there's a clock on each side and then there's the waning moon um going across and it was it was so beautiful and very much i think highlighted the the kind of themes about time and consequences that were happening throughout the throughout the the plot yeah, definitely. That worked very well. Um, I, I also really liked the underwater scene. So simple, but yes. so brilliantly done. Oh, the, the same big, task. Yeah, the big bubble coming down um, and then you seeing them sort of dangling behind. But that, I think because there was so little staging a lot of the time, that thing coming down looks so fancy. <laughs> it, just, it, just, yeah. it was quite one of the, probably the biggest piece, set pieces. Um, and it worked very well to sort of like uh, create a whole new setting underwater. Because uh, I was thinking, uh, then they're like, we're going to go underwater. I was like, oh, okay, how are they going to do that? <laughs> yeah. I also really appreciated how they did portraits. Mm. Maybe it was just, I was up on the balcony, so I could was at an angle and could kind of see how things were happening. <laughs> Which is always the fun thing about going to a show and sitting somewhere high up. Um, but... It was so simple, too. Like you said, it was just kind of a picture frame on a box that was just kind of sliding across with someone on it. Um, But they made it look, the actors in these frames did it so well that it looked like, it really did look like they were in a painting and were two-dimensional. It was a very interesting effect. Yeah, this is why they had like two months worth of previews because <laughs> all yeah, these yeah. intricate little details that had to be hammered home. It'd be interesting to know because obviously, Sophie, you saw it the earliest. Were there errors? Did you? Did it feel like they weren't comfortable? No, it was actually amazing the how smooth it was. There was one thing: someone's cloak got caught as they were moving something, and you just saw someone had to run out and tug them out. And, <laughs> and that, kind of, oh, no. that was a moment where everyone was like, "Oh, okay," it takes you out of it a bit. But otherwise, it was actually amazing how smooth it already seemed, and how few mistakes there seemed to be. Um, yeah, because there was a lot going on. That's really impressive. Yeah, because I was like, okay, they're they're doing two months of previews because so yeah. much is going to go wrong. <laughs> yeah. maybe, to be fair, maybe that's why they because they they bought the um the reviews back um oh sorry bought them forward so um, people could release their reviews a week earlier than it was originally meant to be and I think that was probably a sign of confidence if they were obviously they were getting it right relatively early they're like yeah. okay we yeah. can we can get these critics in now. <laughs> by by the time I saw it. Um, so they'd been doing them for about a month. The only thing that really happened was when Harry is changing into Voldemort, there was a little bit of a hiccup and he kind of got stuck, <laughs> I think, in however they were switching out those actors um, because he had like two hands in one sleeve. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I mean, I think if you were sitting kind of closer to the stage, you wouldn't have seen it because it was like flat on the ground. But up in the balcony, it was like, oh, whoops <laughs> that happened there <laughs> oh, amazing um smaller details i thought were great with the sets were just how um we were saying about the staircases being effective but i thought the suitcases were so effective yes um, like or loathe the graveyard scenes i thought the effect of the suitcases as graveyards was beautiful um and really simple um and gave like an odd kind of I don't know, cyclical nature of you've got the suitcases of these young students going to school and then you've got the gravestones of death and the sort of like time yeah. circle of life um, stuff that I thought was, yeah, really, really lovely. Um, 
and ju- and the way they did uh, dreams and in sequences. So oh my goodness! To, yeah, to merge oh, the wow. sets that way, I thought was quite clever. So you had like um, when he had that dream of seeing Albus in the forest. They it was kind of morphed with that scene where um, oh my gosh, I'm now losing the uh, whereabouts it took place. But it was morphed with him sort of being on the stairs and sleeping, and then seeing the scene yeah. of Albus coming underneath the staircase. Just really simple. They were relatively simple moments, but just very very effectively done without having to have multitude of staircase, um, multitude of sets just coming in and out. Um, which yeah, was very effective. And even the way they used like the moving staircases for like Harry's cupboard under the stairs, which that scene does not come across as creepy in the script as it did on stage. The one with Voldemort's hands kind of coming out mm. um, where he's like having a nightmare as a kid. Oh my gosh. It was terrifying. Yeah. Like that will, that one's going to haunt me for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one of the things kind of Clara that you were talking about, you were talking about how the sets um, they were moving a lot. Um, and I think one of my favorite things of the whole show was this kind of music and movement thing. So, Mary, I think you're heading this one up. All right. So um, the music was done by Imogen Heap and the sound design was done by Gareth Fry. And um, for me, my initial reaction was that it was a little bit difficult to get used to. Um, I'm so accustomed to the film soundtracks like John Williams and all that, that it was it was sort of hard getting into that very kind of airy and ethereal mindset at first. Um, but the more I, you know, watched the show, um, it became very recognizably Imogen Heap's music. Um, I think at one point, Hide and Seek was actually sampled. <laughs> um, when um, Albus and Scorpius are back in time in the Durmstrang robes, um, and they see Hogwarts. Oh, I didn't notice that. You you can know. vaguely hear um, the oily marks appear on walls part of it, um, and that's probably because I listened to the song way too much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, th- that was the one instance where I did notice that one of her songs was actually sampled. Um, for the play, which I thought was really interesting. Um, the, the music for the first part I thought was, um, a lot nicer than the second part. For part two, I felt it was obviously fitting the mood of the, um, the scenes in there. It was a little bit darker, but I felt as though it was a bit forced especially because Imogen's music is so, um, again, I can't think of a better word than ethereal for it, but um, it felt a little bit like, oh, you know, how do I get this to be dark enough to fit the tone of what's going on here? But um, other than that, I really did enjoy the music, and um, it ultimately did make everything feel a lot more magical, but in a different way from how the films felt. Yeah. I, I think this is one of the more lovely things about this play, um, is that they had all these kind of scene changes, um, that this music came up in a lot. Uh, one of my favorites I think is when they're, they're changing to Godric's hollow. Um, so they have all the doors and it's Halloween. And so they have, um, a lot of the ensemble kind of coming out through these doors and they're all carrying lit jack-o'-lanterns. And it was just, it was, it was almost like they were dancing. It was absolutely beautiful, which I think is not something you see very often in 
something that's not a musical <laughs> play. Um, yeah, the music for me definitely felt very, um, it felt very theatrical. I'm not as familiar with Imogen Heap's work, so it, it didn't jar for me at all. It kind of, when it first started, I was like, oh, we're seeing a play. I, that, it was very, very theatrical for me. But it, I didn't, it didn't, because I don't know her music so well, it just kind of flowed. And I think in the first five minutes, it felt uncomfortable. And after that, I barely even noticed it, which is a good sign, I guess. Um, I, but the thing that I think really stood out for me was the sound design. Because the magic with the wands, uh, it has to like take three things for it to be believable, and that's the actors actually making you con- like convincing you that they actually casting magic, the effects that go with it, whether that's lighting or actual like physical things happening, but also the sounds. And there was ju- it was so subtle, but just so brilliant. You just like when there's just a swish of a wand and someone says Lumos, you just get a little bit. Of- like it was so light, but mm-hmm. just brilliant. And I think for me that was, it surpassed the, the just the music. I thought the sound design just nailed it. Absolutely nailed Do it. Do you guys think that they'll, uh, they'll release the soundtrack to it at all? Uh, yeah. Anyway, they can make money. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> I wonder, I wonder if that'll change kind of like the reading experience at all. Um, I, I wonder if people will be able to like match up the script to, the soundtrack uh, and whether that will kind of change maybe the tone in which they read it. I don't know. Maybe this is just me, but I, I, you can read things in different tones. And sometimes even when I was reading it after seeing it, I was reading it differently (laughs) than they had done it. And I knew I was. Um, And some of that I think really comes down to the music and the kind of how it kind of sets up this world and this magic um, that's going on on stage. Yeah. And the pacing that it creates as well. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. some of the scenes, they really, I think the music almost rushed it intentionally sort of like getting through a scene and in other scenes, and this relates to the movement. Uh, I feel like it was stretched out just to sort of pat it out a little bit and uh, just forget that <laughs> it's a little unnecessary little thing happening right now. And the music kind of helped drive that. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, I think if people can listen along, I think it will help people who haven't seen the show get an understanding of how it's being staged. Because at the moment, people only got photos. There isn't any. Yeah. There isn't too much like live recordings of it, and I don't think there will be for a while. Um, but if there's music coming out, I think they potentially will. And with a name like Imogen Heap, I think you could probably do get, do pretty well with selling that soundtrack. Yeah, I would agree with that. It was so long ago now that I saw it that it's kind of hard to really remember it so clearly yeah <laughs> I think because it did just it was just the atmosphere and it just worked really well so um it was kind of just part of it <laughs> okay so um next we're going to talk about the effects and lighting um the, obviously with the magic there were lots of effects throughout the play which we've kind of already touched on um and just the so the illusions and magic were Created, I guess, by Jamie Harrison, special effects Jeremy Chernick, and then video designed by Finn Ross. Um, so I thought that all the effects, the illusions that they created were amazing, and they were definitely some of the things that stuck in my mind about the play and reading the script. Um, I could, yeah, they came back to me, and there were lots of highlights. Um, they used a lot of clever costume changes um, to sort of give the effect of people changing robes um, and sort of appearing where they hadn't been before. And I think one of the highlights for, was definitely when the 
Albus, Scorpius and Delphi take the Polyjuice Potion and change into the trio um, because they just disappear inside the robes and yeah. the others appear. Um, I don't know if anyone else had anything to say on that. Also, there's a moment right after that that's brilliant because the trio are like, oh gosh, we've got to hide. And then they walk through the door, but then the Harry and uh, Hermione characters come on stage seconds oh, yes. later. And I was talking about it with a friend. I was yeah. like, how did they do that? Yeah. Is there a trap door? Like, did they just trick us? And I as they turned around, that. someone else was there. Like, I genuinely still don't know how they did that. Because I think there has to be something they just must have legged it around, but the costumes were different. I Brilliant. Just so clever. Yeah. <laughs> so clever. Yeah. It was so rapid. That was so, so rapid that it was like, wait a second, they're there, now they're there. Because <laughs> yeah. every other scene, it w- I could see how they did it. Oh, okay, they've hidden his face, so I know that's how they did that. But that scene just was so quick. But the Polyjuice Potion was just brilliant. I love that they took their time on it. There are some things I didn't like, the fact they took their time on it, but that one, they really need, they really milked it, and it was just great. Just it was, I, th- I don't know about you guys, when I saw it, I got a round of applause, like every single one that happened, everyone just sort of burst yeah. into yeah. applause. It was so <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. That's kind of like the first big change, I think. Um, if I'm remembering right, I, I might not be, but I think that's one of the first big changes. And I just remember everyone was just so in awe of all of a sudden they were, they were the kids and then they were the adults. And it was, it was so quick and so seamless that it, it was, it really looked like magic. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was brilliant. And in terms of the magic, for me, the one fights were just brilliant as well. And I, yeah, I think there's a real mixture of very simple uh, or very traditional stagecraft. So, like the tricks of Polyjuice Potion was—I mean, we all know how it did, had, how it worked, but it was just—it was so effective the way they did it. It was brilliant. And I think it was the same with the one fights, the duel between uh, Draco and Harry in the kitchen. Which I'm actually—I've yeah. just been listening yeah. to. Uh, I'm re- going through the books again. I've just been listening to Cursed Child, and it was a really nice mirroring of the duel fight at the duel club in uh, Chamber of Secrets, but. You could see how it was happening, and occasionally, like the uh, the actors dressed in black that were like propping them up, would you just catch them in the light? I'm not sure if on the balcony you could mm-hmm. see them more, but it was just so fun. And I think that's what I really liked about the magic is there was some brilliant, like intense. Oh my god, that's in- like wow sort of effect. But a lot of it was just it brought the levity into magic that we've enjoyed so much from the books, and it was so easy and quick. You know, Lumos was thrown out left, right, and center, so you just yeah. it felt like magic was second nature to these people, and it was wasn't just tacked on like it could have all it could very easily have just been magic happened in the big scenes the big moments but it happened constantly for just like the simplest moments and the simplest things yeah that was yeah I think that was probably my highlight for me just uh, the whole thing the magic consistently the special effects I don't know which who was doing what I imagine the flames of the spells which were also great was special effects and then the uh, people appearing in different places would come under illusions but that team were on it <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So many pyrotechnics too. I was so so impressed of how much they like, just, I mean, uh, the Patronus was, uh, it was just like a like shape that they lit it on fire. And actually from the balcony, we could see the guy who was trying to light it on fire. (laughs) He had to do it a couple times, but, uh, yeah, they just have like, it looks just like a, a doe's head and they just lit it on fire. And then it was like, but they must've had chemicals on it because it, it glowed like green. Um, which I think was really interesting to have it be more of a green tint because I was so used to the, the silver of the movies. Um, and then mm. there's just a guy back there just like, 
it was almost like like what they would do in like the Lion King, <laughs> like yeah. with the, the animal heads kind of like moving. It was it was so fascinating um, to see that, and then all the spells and I liked with yeah. the Patronus how it slowly burnt. So it was like the one mm-hmm. slowly, the Patronus slowly coming out, um, and not just like because it, it does take a while in the book. Sometimes you know it takes. They're, they're trying to cast it, so I really liked that. That even though that's clearly just because it takes a while for the flame to, to light, but I, I liked that. Like that, like slowly grow. Like, is it? It takes you a while to be like, what? Well, well, you know what the shape's going to be, but it just takes a while to confirm that it's definitely that. I thought that was really lovely. Yeah, like the materialization of the Patronus, how that kind of came into being. I agree. It was it was neat. Um, I know that when I saw it, it looked a little bit more, um, sort of of that kind of aqua-ish color that was in the, um, films. Mm, okay. Mm. I was in the balcony as well, so I don't know if that was, cause I, like, chemicals will take on different colors when they're burnt, so I don't know if that was part of it, or... Yeah. It's the joy of theater. It's different every night. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Uh, but I think it's fair to say the piece de resistance was the time travel effect. I yes. Oh my gosh! Yes. That was. Yes. yes. I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> Does anyone know how they did that? Because yes. I, so I was about I, to say that. <laughs> Oh, okay, good. Yeah, so because it happens so much, so I did a theatre degree and I have a lot of friends who work in theatre and I actually know a couple of people who worked for the production company uh, that made Curse Child. I don't know them well, so this is not me name dropping. But in terms of technical <laughs> calities of theatre, uh, t- if something happens too often, it takes me, I start working it out. So the first three times it happened in part one, I was like, ah, <laughs> when it kept happening in part two, I was like, okay. Right, so I'm going to concentrate on this now and work out. And it, I think I concluded and then got it confirmed and it cost a lot of money. But I think this is where the video design came in and it's basically, it's projection mapping. So when you create, oh my you can project onto a building, oh, wow. you can just project a flat image, whereas you can now, I don't fully understand it, but you can now like pinpoint it so that it moves in line with the set. So what they obviously would have done is they had the set in place, which is all the arches because you're at Hogwarts at that uh-huh. point, And they would have... um like print like created those images as a projection and then like bounced it on itself that's probably the least technical explanation oh my gosh. of it but it like it, it was it was fully like video video design projection but it's really expensive like 100 grand plus to create that kind oh of thing oh my gosh yeah because <laughs> yeah i i sat there and the closest thing i could come to think i was like okay it looks like light going through water and like the water's moving but they can control it. I was so confused. I could not figure out how they did that. That is so cool. Yeah, that's why I loved the sort of casual magic because when they're spending that kind of money or like roughly that money, might be more, might be a bit, a bit less on creating a special effect like that. Yes, they used it loads of times, um, but it, they could have easily just kept it to those kind of things. But the fact they kept it regularly doing loads of different types of stuff consistently throughout the play maintained the magic levels which i think made yeah made it much better like i, I it could have been very easy yeah. just yeah. to have those one or two big things because they were they were amazing like, i i don't know again your guys shows but people were like gasping at it it was that good um yeah but and i think actually the sound design also played really well into that as well going back to that one yeah, just, yeah. you got that warp effect. it felt like seeing a kind of um an inception kind of shot on screen um that that kind of level Mm -hmm. of quality which was great yeah it was that was the first time they did that I just 
kind of freaked out a little bit because I was like, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. <laughs> and I don't know how they did it. <laughs> but so clever. Just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Amazing. I think um, also uh, one of you guys said earlier about the writing on the wall around the theatre. Oh my gosh. My favourite thing about that is I spotted it and I was like, that looks really strange. So when I first, I sat down at the very beginning, I looked up at the panels above me and because uh, I was, I was fortunate enough to be in the stalls. Um, and, uh, above my head was one of the big, like, panels with the lights on. And I could see, like, pale as if it was, like, glue, like, or also, like, you know, like a slug or a snail and they leave that kind of trail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could yeah. see that on the wall. I was like, that's really strange. But I was trying to look at it. I was like, I can't work out what it's saying. And then I looked at the other one and I couldn't see it on the other one. And then I was looking at the wallpaper. I was like, I'm fairly sure this theatre isn't painted that colour. Uh, and I can see H's <laughs> in it. This has to be themed. And I messaged one of my friends that works on the thing, uh, the show, and I was just like, is this happened? Did, did you guys paint stuff? I'd love to be able to put this in the review. And then, like, the <laughs> part one, st- like, the first half of part two happens, uh, ends, and then you see that effect going, oh, now I feel like an idiot. Because <laughs> yeah. clearly something has been affected. But, yeah, that was- I was just so impressed that it was everywhere. Because... Um, mm it wasn't even just, just on the stage or just at the bottom. Like it was all the way up on the balcony. I mean, we were, Oh really? Wow. We were, yeah, yeah. I like, all the way up. I actually looked away from the stage for a while because I was like reading the writing on the wall next to me. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and yeah, it was, it really like brought the audience. I feel like into that moment, um, just to have everything surrounded by and it's, it's crazily written. I mean, it's, it's Delphi's prophecy and it's just, it looks like a crazy person wrote it. Um, it's just scrawled all over the walls in all sorts of directions, all sorts of sizes, just chunks of it everywhere. It was, it was so brilliant. All little doodles too of like, there was like a snitch at some point above my head and like, oh, there was some other stuff too. Yeah. Oh. I didn't see all those details. I didn't either. Yeah, it was just everywhere. It was amazing. But it was, again, one of those things you feel like they didn't need to do that. Like, yeah. But they did, and it just made a difference because you just feel so in it. And, yeah, it was really effective. I didn't see the snitch. That would have... I was talking to someone about the the kind of the nest that formed and the wings that formed the snitch. Um, And they were like, so how does this come into play? They just read the script. And I was like, you know... I didn't see anything that made it come into play, but interesting that they would put it in, in that. Huh. I, by this point, plot wise, I was seeing red. So I was like, that's a cool effect, but <laughs> oh my God, I hate this plot point so much. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, it was great. It was very cleverly done, but I wasn't feeling immersed. I was feeling furious. <laughs> um, oh no. <laughs> yeah, but like that, the effect of the lighting with you know, turning it to, I guess it was UV, um, just the whole way through the clever with from the magic, but also went like with the water scene, which we've already talked about. You genuinely believed it was underwater with the, just the lighting was yeah. beautiful. Um, the change of time, um, not just in the time travel, but just like, you know, months and time going by and years, years, which I, that threw me <laughs> that they were actually going to age over here. <laughs> um, I just thought it was, that was, it was just, again, it was, it wasn't just slapped on. They they got good people. I mean, you've only got to look at the program and look at people's credits to know that they are they're well established. And a lot of them have worked together before, and they've got a really good track record. Um, and so yeah. you just know they've hired the best people, and it looked it looked great. And the lighting is so pivotal to that. Like, they clearly they did a really really good job. 
Mm-hmm. Which I guess leads us on to staging, which we guess we have been covering, um, but it'd probably be good to actually call out uh, the movement director, Stephen Huggett, and uh, the director, John Tiffany. Um, I'll start with movement because uh, the director is obviously heavily involved in the story as well, but movement with the cloaks, I think was probably the best bit. Just yes. the, uh, that was it. Obviously his pivotal thing of like, made the cloaks look amazing. Um, my uh, general feeling on the movement being great was by like the middle of part two, it felt like it was padding. And I'll come to this a little bit later when we talk about the, whether it needed to two parts. Um, but it worked so well for me and really, it was really very effective in part one. Um, and then by part two, there was one particular scene where I'm not entirely sure what was happening still. Um, but when Rose goes off and is giving letters and sharing letters is when they finally come back and everything's fixed. But before the Delphi nonsense, uh, they, uh, there's this like, yeah, mad scene where they're all just going around and I still don't quite know what that was. Um, and I think that was padding, but generally the, mo- the quality of the movement. So Stephen Hoggart was probably told when to throw in movement. Um, so what he did was brilliant, um, and really very, worked well with the pacing and worked well with the music and the feel of the show. I think with those cloaks, the thing I loved was, um, it was so perfectly timed with the music that it, I don't know. Ma- Maybe I was imagining things. There was like the swooshing noise every time someone would, because they use the cloaks to kind of move stuff on and off the stage. So, for example, like Harry's desk, someone would walk out and they would just like swoosh their cloak over it and then walk off with it. And it was (laughs) so, I don't know, like it was so perfectly timed in the music that the first couple times it happened, I was like, wait. I need to pay attention. Is that part of the music or is that actually the cloak going on? Or is it like a sound effect that's being thrown out? And so I like sat there for a while going, trying to determine where that was coming from because it just was so cool. The movement, I really loved um, the suitcases all moving. And also, this I don't know if this quite fits into this bit, but the um, sorting hat moving through the mm. crowd uh, as well, that was quite good. And just the way they did that with, um, made it a person. Like I really like that. <laughs> I wish his hat had actually looked like the sorting hat, though. It was just kind of that yeah. like bowler hat, yeah, and I was a little right. disappointed by that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I loved how they did the uh, the sorting hat. For me, that was those moments where it justified being a play, uh, doing clever things. You know, so the sorting hat they could have they could have probably spent a lot of money on an animatronic sorting hat and just done it pretty much like the movie. But I, I liked the fact that it was just he he was there, sort of this sort of he was like a purveyor of time just moving around very yeah. slowly he was great mm-hmm. i really liked him actually I'll talk about him in a bit but um uh the uh, yeah i just thought it was brilliant theatricality he had great voice and it was very simple movement but brilliant actually on him uh the introduction of godric hollow i can't remember the actor's name i keep saying him which is not good i'm gonna look at the program um but the introduction of godric's hollow where there's so snow's falling and yes. he turns around and walks slow motion whilst um all the um the doors come on and people bring them on i thought that was beautiful uh his, yeah. just his just his walking <laughs> i could have watched him walk for a long time um he was he was really very good yeah and i'm, I'm gonna find his name because i feel bad to say he... yeah i've forgotten about that it's funny the yeah. moments you forget and things you remember, especially after having read the script. You kind of, yeah. I still haven't yeah. done that. I still haven't read the script. I, yeah. <laughs> really? No, I haven't quite got around to it. Oh, uh, yeah, Chris Jarman is his name. Uh, oh, yeah. Because as I said, just kept saying him. 
Um, he has been in Doctor Who and the Bill because he's a British actor and every actor was in the Bill at some point. <laughs> of course. Uh, but yes, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, that was. He. <laughs> Um, but then also the direction is, is a interesting one by John Tiffany because it's so, there's so much going on that probably so many people were involved in lots of different, you know, how was the spells cast? How are they moving across the stage? But his, obviously his leadership of that was so neat for them to be, like you said, you know, we're in the second preview, Sophie, for it to be that tight by that stage, that is some bloody great direction. <laughs> and I've seen some of John yeah. Tiffany's stuff yeah. <laughs> before. Um, and he is, he is fantastic. And him and Stephen Hoggett have worked a lot together. And one of the favorite things of my, uh, pieces of play that I've seen them, that they both worked on was a production called Black Watch by the Scottish National Theatre. And it was about the Black Watch Regiment. And it's, you know, it's a pretty good play text. But the way they staged it and the movement that they did it made it like 10 times better. It's how you bring, like, you can read a very good play and bring it to life, but make it something completely different. Or even mediocre plays can become brilliant under good direction. And I think that's what John Tiffany did here. Original story. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I think his his leadership was clearly very good. Well, and I definitely think that's, that's part of it is that he was involved in the story. And I think because a lot of people are upset about it, but I think it's, there are things not in the script that he was able to bring out through the direction. Um, and that I think is what makes it so good on stage is the fact that he can take this and he can spin it and make it so beautiful and everything that happened about it. And the fact that it was so seamlessly done as well too. Yeah. I mean, he brought all those pieces together. I think directing a two part, production with that many special effects and visual effects and movement I, it's, it's brilliant <laughs> and and that bigger cast mm, as well yeah, yeah. So it was huge <laughs> getting all those people to do everything yeah that was, was quite definitely remarkable a, that's gonna be one of the biggest casts i've seen outside of musical theater that was yeah. pretty yeah. sizable yeah. and even they were doubling up on characters and <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty brilliant um what was also brilliant were the casting of performances yes some of them uh i'm gonna go backwards um so i'm gonna leave the the big ones to the end because i feel like we're gonna go for a while on them because they are (laughs) yeah we're gonna leave them to the end so i'd say let's let's start with the the multi-rolling um ensemble uh, and then we'll work up to the sort of minor roles and go from there um my general opinion was in their multi-role ensemble duty, they were brilliant and they worked very well together and the movement, as we said, was fantastic. Performances for me didn't hit the note and this is a general issue with the plot. If you're ever going to go back in nostalgia and revisit characters like Dumbledore, even if he's in portrait form and McGonagall and Umbridge and Snape, when you can't, because it's they're multi-rolling and they're bit parts, you can't cast brilliant actors because you're trying to find... This is, this is really terrible. But if an actor is in their mid-40s and they're only necessarily doing ensemble parts, they're not going to be of the calibre of Noma and Jamie and Paul, who are all very well-established theatre actors who've been doing very high-profile theatre work for a while. And then you're getting them to play the characters of Professor McGonagall who was previously played by Dame Maggie Smith, is just not going to chime. And I don't know how that worked for you guys, but every time McGonagall walked on, I wanted to cry. It was just so wrong. Dumbledore was terrible. I wonder, though... Snape was diabolical. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, (laughs) Snape was bad. But I wonder how much of that was was in the writing. Because rereading it, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, 
the characters are off in the writing. Um, like McGonagall yelling at the trio in in public and saying they were neglecting their children. Like that is not McGonagall at all. Um, and that just felt that those were the things that felt so wrong to me. Um, Snape, it was far too apologist for my taste. Um, it did not feel like what Snape would have done at all, but I definitely see where you're going. I think my biggest one acting wise was Snape. He just felt so flat, um, in his delivery. I think it was hard because their characters, people weren't necessarily expecting to see. So there were lots of gasps when they appeared. Um, but yeah, it's hard to carry off that kind of such well loved character, I guess in that way. And like you were saying, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's not so much well-loved, it's also just, you've just got such well, good yeah. comparisons. You've got some of the best British yeah. theatre yeah. actors. Yeah. Okay, this, so this is a mild name drop. I was sat behind Michael Gambon in the production that I went to see, and when Dumbledore <laughs> came on, he was, I think he was with his grandson, not sure, uh, they nudged him and was like, it's you. And like or loathe Michael Gambon as Dum- Dumbledore, having that, like, right in front of me, slightly blocking my view, uh, like... <laughs> good actor who plays this character you're seeing on stage that is just so lackluster Dumbledore was just off for me as well as much as Snape and I, I think you're probably right Alison about the writing McGonagall wasn't great writing but also I think performance was was pretty weak um Moving away from negatives, uh, in terms of smaller parts, as I said, Chris Jarman I thought was brilliant. I, I loved his Hagrid. I thought he was great. Uh, yes, occasionally yes, the accent yeah. wobbled. Hagrid was, was wonderful. Great. So lovely. And I actually, I loved that end bit. Um, I don't, oh, I cried. Yeah, it, was, it was so beautiful. And to oh, write that gosh. scene in, because that's quite... That scene we don't know happened. Well, we know it had to yeah. happen in some way, but we didn't. We've never seen that before, and I thought that was beautiful. Um, I cried. Yeah. I mean, I was still crying from the scene before it, but I was just <laughs> crying even more. Just that line where he just says, "We're going to be friends," and I was just like, ah, "Okay, I'm done." Like I was like <laughs> emotionally compromised. I was like, "We're going to be friends whether you like it or not." Is like, yeah, yeah, Hagrid. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Oh, yep. <laughs> um, and I loved Moni Myrtle. I thought she was fantastic. She was clearly yes. a dancer. Um, just her movement on that wheelie thing. Um, I liked how they really ramped up the flirting, which I thought was, I thought it worked. Yes. It was funny. It was, and it worked. She played off so well with the younger uh, character, the younger boys, but also then when uh, Draco and Harry turned up, I just thought she was brilliant, really funny and well-written. I thought that yeah. character worked for me a lot. Yeah, that was, she was really good. Um, I also thought that um, she had really watched the scenes with Shirley Henderson um, from the original films and had really gotten down a lot of her mannerisms as well and taken those. Um, I don't know the actress who played Myrtle in the play's name. I don't have my program with me right now but um she had obviously adopted so many of those mannerisms um that uh shirley had had in the films especially um with the whole flirtation thing i feel like it was very goblet of fire in the bathtub sort of yeah (laughs) she's called annabelle baldwin yeah i thought she was great she was a surprise was not expecting myrtle to show up and that was just a nice little Nice. That was one of those like drop-ins that I really appreciated. Yeah, um, yeah. Those callbacks worked, and also she's young. She's she's not got many credits. She's probably only recently come out of training. 
this is where the benefit of playing those, getting throwbacks to younger characters, you can get decent actors who are happy to be in the ensemble because they're like, shit, it's my first big <laughs> show. Uh, and that's where you benefit, yeah, from having younger, those like younger nods as opposed to the big, big ones. Um, I'm trying to think of the other minor characters that really sort of stood out. Um, did you guys have any ones you wanted to pinpoint? I didn't think much of the Rose Potter that I saw. She was all right. She was fine. Just another little... No, not Rose Potter. What am I talking about? Uh, not Rose. Rose was great. Um, oh, my God. Lily. Lily Potter. Uh, I thought was... Yeah, I thought she was yeah. fine. Like, I, we obviously probably all saw different Lilies. Um, but uh, I did thoroughly enjoy James Potter. Oh, he was he was exactly how I thought James Potter should be. He was he was a new marauder, and it was fantastic. That scene where he comes out with the... Um, with his hair turned pink... <laughs> yeah. fabulous absolutely fantastic yeah. i absolutely loved him yeah he was really good you entirely believe that he's harry's son but he's also Ginny's son and related yes. to george and ron weasley like you just you can see that kid has grown up with all these adults influence and probably hearing stories uh-huh. about the marauders and stuff and he's just yeah adopted that just yeah he was really good fun um something i think we're going to be slightly torn on is Ginny. Um, I, uh, of the main trios, of the main trio, the main group, I wasn't a massive fan. And I think that was 50% performance and 50% writing. Uh, I think once again, no one can write Ginny apart from J.K. Rowling. Um, I didn't believe any of the stuff about like Ginny being on a sugar-free diet and all that nonsense. Yeah, that was um, weird. And there were some lovely yeah, moments. Didn't yeah, just, there were lovely moments between her and Harry. But I, for me, it was Jamie Parker was just so bloody brilliant that he convinced me that she was all right. Um, but there was no moments for me where it, she was having her standout lines that it worked for me. Yeah. I thought she was great. I mean, th- there was no moment of awesome really with Jenny. And I think that was one of the things like, I know one of the criticisms for film Jenny was that, Oh, you know, she was so flat. And I feel like, I feel like that kind of carried over into Cursed Child Jenny, whereas Book Jenny was very um, feisty. I'm so interested that you guys say that because I definitely saw that feistiness and I was so excited. Um, I mean, I loved the way, I mean, some of this was probably Jimmy Parker. I thought they had the Harry and Ginny relationship perfect. Um, and just those moments where she where she was comforting him or even the ones where she was kind of getting after him about this is what you need to say to Albus um, or why are you doing this Harry? You're being stupid. Uh, Those were fantastic. And I mean, when she breaks up the duel between Draco and Harry, um, I thought that was book Ginny. Uh, But I think my favorite thing she did was I loved the way she related to Albus um, that scene where they first show up in Godric's Hollow and Albus sees her and he just sprints right into her arms. That was, I loved that. I loved those scenes in Godric's Hall with them. Um, she added, after reading the script, I noticed she added when they're in the church and Albus is asleep on the pew, at least in my show, she was kind of like playing with his hair and like, like you would with, with a kid. Um, she was kind of just like stroking his hair and, helping him kind of get to sleep. And that was, that was beautiful to me. Um, that she really got that idea of she's herself, but she's also, you saw the Molly in Ginny that I think would make sense to have come out a little bit later than we would have seen her in the books. 
yeah, I like that actually. Yeah, that yeah. you haven't got me hundred percent convinced, but uh, I yeah, I can buy <laughs> that that she's becoming more of her mum. I think there was some. I think the moments where they were showing feisty Ginny um, didn't they f- didn't feel flat. Kind of the opposite. They were just a bit odd. Though that moment where she shouts at. Uh, Malfoy just I don't know whether it was my performance but it just did not work for me it was weird stage oh, shouting really? it was no, so I, I agree like um some of her line delivery I felt like was just it was off from how I had read it and I don't know if it was the difference between like my accent being American and hers being whatever British accent that I couldn't quite place um because I, fe- I felt like her accent was sort of off and I know some of the other actors did have to um, modify their accents for the roles so I don't know you know I'm not um, in British theater obviously but um, from that standpoint like line delivery and that kind of thing I felt like it 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 was strange Mm. yeah that's definitely what I got from her Um, I hadn't thought of the accent actually I'm not sure where the actress is from but what what did you think so yeah I'm kind of with Alison I liked her um yeah there were <laughs> there were some moments I guess thinking about them they did seem a bit off or not right but I did yeah no I liked her portrayal of Jenny but obviously it's not as good as book Jenny but then I guess we this is them older and grown up and yeah they will have changed um yeah, no, I think she worked. <laughs> I yeah, I anymore. <laughs> I think you bring up a good point, though, Claire. Um, because it's live theater, it's it's different every night. Um, every performance mm-hmm. is going to have slight changes, and I wonder because they're doing so much. Um, I mean, this is in total. This is a five-hour play, and sometimes they do. I mean, there are days where they do the whole thing, and so I wonder. I'm very curious about the longevity of some of these things because I just feel like that would be exhausting to be rehearsing and performing so much at such a caliber for so long. Um, and so I wonder if, if that affects it sometimes. I mean, obviously it does. Um, having done theater, I know if you're tired, <laughs> it sucks to try and be on stage. Yeah. I think that was, I think the day that I went to see it, I think they were having an off day. They were brilliant. Like the performances, the ones that I thought were good, were good. But it's one of those things that I think, again, if you've done theater or if you've just been in the room for five and a half hours, they were just little things like lines were just very slightly fluffed and a pen was dropped and like minor, minor issues that did not ruin the experience of the show but that can affect a cost. And I think if there was something that was a bit wobbly, that that could have just, their delivery might have just been not been as on point as maybe they'd been the night, bef- night before. I think, you know, I saw it the first, I think the first double day since the um, the, gra- the gala opening, which they were probably still hanging from that, to be honest. It's not, it looked like such a good yeah. party. Um, <laughs> so I think that was probably, there was an element, yeah, of tiredness, of fatigue. Um but despite the fatigue, some of them were astonishingly lively and bloody brilliant. Uh, I realised I got her name wrong earlier, but Rose was great. I am slightly oh, gutted so yeah, that the time travel nonsense meant we didn't get much of her. Because um, like, even though she was a bit bossy and a pain sometimes, I just thought she was great. Just 
really, really brilliant new character that I want to see more from, although dare I say that because we probably shouldn't want more. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, she was fantastic and uh, I, I enjoyed she Albert. She was the perfect blend of Ron and Hermione. Yeah, she just, yeah. She was the perfect blend. Just, and just so slightly unaware of herself like she will we all know people like that who are just a bit too overconfident but she'll rein yeah. it in and she, she she's like got the confidence and intelligence of Hermione but kind of the casualness of it'll be fine I'm fine of maybe the Weasleys maybe not so much Ron but probably George Weasley um where she's not got she's not racked with quite so many insecurities as Hermione was um which yeah she was just so wonderful and like the whole uh, Hermione uh well actually we'll come to Hermione in a second talk about the kids uh Albus was good um I know I think Alison you're a bit more of a fan um I yes. thought he was uh, yeah I, I thought he was good but I'll, I'll let you go yeah you go <laughs> yeah I I just thought he was brilliant I mean he's not quite as exuberant as I mean Sam Clement just isn't quite as exuberant as Anthony Boyle is but I thought he just nailed because reading the script, you could get Albus could just be kind of a brat, or he could just be, like, too angsty. But mm. he very much nailed the nuance that was needed to show that Albus is kind of having an identity crisis throughout this whole thing. And he's trying to just figure out where he fits and everything. And he just, I mean, the scene where they're watching um, Halloween 1981... Um, which by the way is one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing. And I was bawling my eyes out the whole time. And I do not cry openly very easily. (laughs) Um, he just, the way he just, he visibly just like jerked and it was absolutely heart wrenching. I mean, it just hurt to watch him. Um, he just nailed all these tiny little things he needed to get to, um, to be this character and to make this character so complex and as complex as he needed to be to really come out um, and just to show. Yeah. Just, I just thought he was brilliant. I thought he was so good. And also I just kind of I love agree. him. <laughs> <laughs> I loved him too. Like the awkwardness too of adolescence. And like, yeah. I mean, when you were talking about like, um, I'm talking about his like angst and whatever. And um, like how he kind of had to toe that line. I feel like, there were definitely um, some areas where he could have gotten a bit more, um, dare I say, emo um, <laughs> in his behavior. But um, on stage, you know, it came across very naturally. Like, oh, here's this teenage boy. Oh, you know, he's having a fight with his dad. It felt very, um, felt very normal. Felt very relatable. Yeah. Oh gosh, his scene with Harry, his Albus oh. and Harry's scene, uh, just that argument they had where it's like, well, I wish you weren't my dad. I don't know about you guys, but I've had those (laughs) arguments with my parents. Yeah. And that was probably the most realistic, believable moment for me in the entire show. Um, The magic was spectacular, but those human moments between Harry and Albus were brilliant. And that scene particularly were just, was brilliant. Like, was really fantastic. I think that's where, I think that was my highlight from, from Sam. Yep, Sam. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That's where he, for me, stood out the most. Um, whereas uh, Anthony Boyle as Scorpius kind of stood out like the entire way through the play. He was so good. (laughs) He is brilliant. Fantastic. 
Considering he doesn't have bright blonde hair and he has quite a strong Irish accent, you know he must yeah. have yeah. nailed that audition for them to be like, oh yeah, of course he's a, a Malfoy. Because he doesn't look or sound yeah. like anything we'd ever expect from a Malfoy. So you have to go, because Albus looks the part, that Sam looks like Harry Potter um, and mm-hmm. he sounds a bit like him. Uh, and you know you can m- make that work. Whereas like he must, he, I don't know what they, maybe he might have auditioned for Albus to be honest, because you know, he could also be um, Albus with his sort of hair colour and things but yeah he was just his delivery of certain lines I'm going to save my favourite oh. one for our highlights at the end but the one where he's like oh uh, Malfoy the unactions is a pretty good line oh yeah. my gosh just I, I, love, I, love, that I love that, that was- scene I love that Definitely scene one of my highlights <laughs> Sophie and I have been talking about that scene for like a month and a half <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, just because it was and those I love he's so enthusiastic about everything mm. And I was talking to yeah. some people, um, I, I was actually talking to Michael um, from Alohomora, and we, he just said, he was like, he felt too much like a fan, inserted, <laughs> like, Scorpius was us. And I was like, yes, and it, he, Michael's also saying he felt a little too perfect in the script. And I think what it's a nuanced thing again, where Anthony Boyle just perfectly portrays, he's trying so hard but he's so insecure yeah. in himself and it, it's just those little things. Um, and it was absolutely brilliant. And I think it just really made that character pop and just, Oh, I loved him. I just fell in love with him from the moment he like jumped up to offer them sweets on the train. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness is a quivering. Oh, oh my, my goodness. God. Yeah. Um, I think also his, um, when he's essentially becomes the lead, of the show when he's like escorted off yeah. to that like time travel and Albus isn't there. Um, his, his struggle with his identity during that again, plot and dialogue aside where he's realizing that he has everything in that moment. He, you know, he could be the popular, this, this and this. And Scorpius is fighting that, that I think again, where he and just, he goes back yeah. and he, for Albus. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and like ships aside whether people want to get that I just I thought that friendship was beautiful and lovely because oh, I, I love the fact that they both have heard about their you know their parents well Albus has heard about his parents friendships and Albus sorry Scorpius has probably heard about you know the trio and they're both thinking like I want that friendship uh, and oh they're just adorable it works so well I on stage I haven't read it so I don't actually know what it feels like on the, on the page but on stage it worked brilliantly yeah yeah I, you could definitely tell that the two of them are actually friends too. Um, I think that really came across. I definitely got that feeling is that they're, definitely. they've become friends throughout this. Um, and they just infused that into their, into their characters and it was brilliant. Um, speaking of Malfoys, uh, I thought, I think his name is Alex Price. Is that right? Um, uh-huh. I'm gonna yeah. yes. this program again. Uh, I thought he was great. He has now ticked off pretty much every fandom going, uh, Doctor Who, uh, being human. He just needs to get Star Wars in there. He'll be sorted. Um, yeah, I thought he was, I thought he was really good. I thought the way they wrote Malfoy was one of the most interesting characters because he could so easily have not, have been a bit of a non part, um, in this. Yeah. Uh, and I loved all the reveals. So like we can obviously, Aloha Mora will discuss more in canon and not canon. Uh, and, but I will buy everything pretty much Malfoy said with the exception of the farmer's market nonsense um the uh, his, <laughs> yeah, that was weird yeah it was so weird and the Hermione line 
The, yeah, the Hermione well, busting was, him around line. That was fan. That. that was such fan service. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But he, um, <laughs> his, his talking about being jealous of Harry is like, well, obviously, yeah. of course he was. And I just, I loved that. I, that Those sort of moments really worked for me. And I think he sold it brilliantly. Yeah. He did. I have never been a, a Draco fan, really. I just, I think he's a little brat. Um, but I, he helped sell me a little bit more on Draco and I I softened a little bit towards him because of that performance and just the way he you could see the hard exterior that we've we've known from Malfoy from the books and then the moments where it just kind of crumbled um the moments where he was so concerned about Scorpius or uh the moments that really hit me were when he was talking about Astoria yeah they were just the way he delivered those were brilliant I really liked his relationship with Harry I I thought they have such a connection really? through everything they've experienced that I I, I believed that he would. I, I I can't really put a word to it, but there is there is something between them that they'll never be best of friends. Reconciliation. Yeah, but it's it just the connection between them of like they. I think there's a need there. I think, and I don't quite know what it is. I think it's definitely more from Draco's perspective than Harry, but they experience so much, and they both went through quite a lot and I think Draco's the only one who's going to understand for Harry the um the like Voldemort's impact and what I more than I think Ron and Hermione did of what it's like to be connected or abused by Voldemort um and yeah I I just believed it I thought I thought he sold it and I thought it was written very well see I I had a little bit of a problem with the way they they played it um I think they need to be a little bit colder towards each other. I think they need to be like cordial and professional, but there were times where I was like, you're too chummy. You're just, you're too, you're acting too much like your friends. Whereas I feel like there's still some resentments from, from both of them from when they were growing up that would be a little harder to put aside. Mm. But there's so much like we there's it's been 19 years. I mean maybe they didn't see each other for five, but if they're both intertwining in and out the ministry and I I'm, I'm sure Jerry's written this up somewhere but um the Malfoys get off, right? So they they don't get put into prison after the second wizarding war. Um so Malfoy or Draco I must have done something as part of that. I think Harry would be implicit in, in some way of like redeeming him. I don't quite know how. I don't know if she's written this down or not. Um, but I think they interact on a daily basis already. Um, so I believe, I felt like it was picking up from stuff we haven't seen, um, which worked for me. But Okay. I can see that. On a separate note, I think one of the things that stood out for me with Draco was um, in the one alternate universe where um, Scorpius um, goes into the um, office and it's no longer Harry's office, it's Draco's. Uh, And they have that scene that sort of, it's sort of how um, Albus and Harry have their scene and then Scorpius and Draco have theirs, and it, it really reminded me of watching um, Lucius and Draco, um, and I pretty much cried during that, um, just because it was so um, emotionally powerful um, to see that and to kind of see, like, okay, here's Draco as an adult with his own son, yeah, kind of wrapping my mind around that. 
but also he you know that line where harry says i know i'm i'm trying to work this out here as he's saying to albus i don't know how to be a dad now even if i i had nothing to base it on um i don't even have a bad dad to try not to be and i think that's what draco's trying he's trying not to be his dad because like again i'm saying listen to uh, chamber of secrets uh, lucius was horrible to draco like he was not yeah. like he was maybe loving in some level, but he wasn't nice to him. And I think Malfoy Draco in this is really trying very hard to be the parent that he wanted to be to his son. But there's obviously issues that come with that, and he's he's not so good at maybe pouring out the emotion unless it's Manning Myrtle, and he's very good. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> um, I really really liked the line um, when. Draco says, uh, everyone says being a parent is the hardest job, but I think it's growing up and we've all forgotten or something along those lines. I think that is yeah. brilliant line. Um, yeah, that was really yeah. And, yeah, and I think he, and I, I, I thought it was a brilliant line that was probably put in there by like, I don't know if um, John Tiffany or Jack Thorne have kids, but I imagine that's something that J.K. Rowling might have thrown in there. Um, but I believe it coming from him as well. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I think any of the trio could have said that line, with the exception of maybe Ron. Um, but I believe from <laughs> it coming from Jacob, um, Drake, Jacob, where did I get Jacob from? Uh, <laughs> uh, from Draco instead. Um, so we move on to the trio, the wonderful, perfect yes. trio. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love them. Oh my god, the trio, the trio, the trio. Wow. I the think trio. they're my new they're my new go to thinking of the trio actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with that absolutely, especially Noma and Hermione. Yes. Oh my gosh. I she was absolutely brilliant. Like I the moment she walked on stage, I was like, "Yes, right there. That is Hermione Jean Granger." And I love her. (laughs) It was just, it was so brilliant. And I loved her relationship with Ron. Like, I know there's people have complained about Ron's character being so a comedy, but I think, I think Paul Thornley sold that. Um, and I think he performed it very well. Um, and their relationship was just, I love, I like, I love the idea that after like, seven years of just fighting with each other they actually are a really tactile couple because and the, we were talking about earlier about like whether Ginny and harry's relationship worked and I, I think it did work on stage but they weren't particularly tactile in private moments they were but in, in public i love that ron and hermione were kind of a little bit all over yes. each other i mean obviously there's the bit where it's yes. not actually ron but um but there are other bits <laughs> where they're just like they they're hugging each other and holding each other's hands i'm like oh god it's so much it's so wonderful that's it's one just, of my favorite yes. one of my favorite press pictures to come out is that picture they have of the two of them and he's like he's like resting his he- his chin on her shoulder mm. and he has his arms around her waist and they're just like cuddled up together i was like that is so perfect just, i love it so perfect Especially that most of it's coming from Ron, I think is yeah. perfect. Is he's that kind of person, um, very kind of affectionate in that way, and that that made me so happy. Want a holiday or a baby? Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, I love the, the, that. Why I love because obviously that that scene is not him, but like I don't think is it him. No, that's the apologies bit, isn't it? No, it's Albus. Yeah, that's Albus. Yes, but yeah. what, Albus has got to pick that up from somewhere. Like he he's heard yep. Ron saying something, being like, "I need a holiday," or some reference to a child, like having more children. Like he's picked that up, and that again just adds more to the character um, of what they've created for Ron. And I I did like him, but and I, the one thing that the whole thing about him being a comic sidekick again, 
whilst it's we want to see more from Ron, the reason I liked it is because A, I believed that he'd be running the joke shop with George. I believe that he's not cut out for ministry as much as we love him. Um, and I, but I love he's the dad. Yeah. He's the, the stay at home dad and he's yes. like the, uh, the home runner. Yeah. Um, but it also gave so much opportunity for Hermione and Harry's relationship to really consolidate because obviously there is the shippers and there are scenes and there are moments in the series that you can pick and be like, oh, okay, maybe they could be a couple. But by this point, after this amount of time, this is just a really close, tight, solid friendship. And seeing that on stage yeah. just was beautifully yeah. solid. Yeah, I really like the scene when they were in, ha- well, Hermione's in Harry's office and he comes in <laughs> and she's sort of telling him to do all his paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that just got their relationship. Yeah, and he like, fixes perfect. one and it's like, done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the way they both played it, um, where Hermione is standing very much like, proper and harry comes in and just throws his feet up on his desk and is just yeah. lounging in his chair and is like what i have to do work what <laughs> <laughs> whilst i loved noma and, and paul and i did think they were absolutely superb for me jamie parker was the standout for harry yes. um before they announced the casting Definitely. i was just like i i was so adverse to the show purely because not so much for hermione and ron but for some reason i didn't quite know why in the last couple of years i've become very protective of harry uh but i was just like, i can't i can't see harry on stage i can't see anyone else as harry i just can't do this and then they announced jamie parker who i love and i've seen him like he's done a lot of other work on stage and off um and i think he's a fantastic actor and when they announced him even though he had his like blonde hair, there wasn't a single pair of glasses in sight. It just clicked. I was like, of, co- of course, he's going to be the perfect Harry. And when he walks on, it, he 100%, I believed he was Harry 19 years later. I believed he had gone through everything that Harry had gone through. And he was struggling to be, the, the, the struggle to be a parent was very believable. And I think Jamie Parker is a, is a dad. So I think it's probably stuff he was relating to. Um, but, his his worries and his stress and his his uh, he, him trying to stay calm but you seeing the tension because harry is yep. a reactive person and he's a passionate person but he doesn't always get it 100% right um especially with his anger he does let his anger overflow and i don't believe that would have just stopped because he's had such a traumatic childhood and teenage years that it would still very much affect him 20 odd years later um yeah I, I, there were so many scenes like reading the books even when I was like younger and Harry's age there were so many times where you just want to give Harry a hug and there were times in this show where I was like Jamie Parker Definitely. it's okay <laughs> um, just yeah <laughs> I think one of the, the best things he did was he nailed Harry's awkwardness mm, Harry is yeah. such an awkward person in the books like he just and there were so many scenes where like it was just the way he was standing. He stands with his hands and like his his pants pockets a lot, mm. and oh, I was like, yeah. "That that's Harry." Like I was like, right there, just awkward, kind of like not quite sure what he should do with himself. <laughs> and so he's just kind of there, especially in the "I Want a Baby or a Holiday" scene, um, where he's just kind of off on the stage and he's just like, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna go." <laughs> yeah. like, and he starts kind of just like moving his way off and I mean even so even the scenes with Albus I think part of the things that really helped were just his body language that was just saying I'm not quite sure what I'm doing I'm trying I know I need to try something but I'm not quite sure what to try um and that and then the scene where he talks to Dumbledore's portrait and just breaks down in the office I was crying (laughs) the whole time 
I think oh, that for me, actually, that scene, I think that's when I clocked that I thought they were having an off night because it, I, I should have been crying at that point. I'm a ter- I weep at anything and everything. <laughs> like Jamie Parker was just doing like random little looks and I was crying in like part one. But that scene for me, it, it, something didn't work on an emotional level. And I think that was just an oh. off night, off performance. He yeah. wasn't fully in it. Um, but it was still, I, he was still very good, but I think that you know, that there's the acting and then there's being and all that wanky stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, he in terms of the awkwardness, um, you say about that scene with uh, Ron and Hermione. I love the fact, and I think this is totally believable that even though they're, they're still a trio and they're still a unit and they've been together a long time, I think that Harry would still find the Hermione Ron thing slightly awkward. Um. <laughs> it's it's half blood prince. It's his thoughts yeah. half blood prince. Exactly. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's still just a bit like, oh god, they're there. They're doing this again. Like I think he'd he would still have that level of like oh god, um, which yeah just works works superbly well, and and in his moments with Ginny, I think yeah like I said before, I think he sold Ginny for me because it just the way he called her Gin, I just thought that was so cute, oh. um, and just and again yeah. fairly believable. Oh. <laughs> they were just so, they were perfect. so precious. I just keep looking at pictures of them and just being like I love. Them I know. So much. <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be weird when they recast it. Sit again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I got I bought my initial tickets for February. Um and I'm curious to know whether they'll have recast by then because I think some of the ensemble yeah. parts oh, will have gosh, done. Oh gosh, that's going to be sad. I know that's I I don't want to see it with different people, so I don't either. <laughs> as much as I want to see it again, I I want that cast, yeah, because they were yeah. so perfect. They just they brought those characters in that world perfectly to life yeah 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 i'm hoping that they i think the leads might still i think they might have signed a year contract i just feel like they were so much part of the yeah. marketing campaign yeah I feel like they're going to try and keep them for as long as they can but the type of actors they are they're probably not going to want to stay in it as long as they can because they will probably have plenty of yeah. other things to be doing um i really yeah. hope when i see it anthony boyle's in it <laughs> just i need yes. to deliver with those lines like, so yeah. badly yeah yeah <laughs> I I wonder if any of them will travel. I wonder if any of them will go like because eventually it'll come to New York. I'm sure. I wonder if any of them will go to New York or anything. I hope so. As much as I'd love them to stay in London forever and ever, I do hope because <laughs> because of these those performances was are so intrinsic to why the show does work. Low yeah. level like the low level low the plot. Um, they they really sell it to you. It would. I think it's a shame if only London or people who are able to visit London are able to see those performances. And it's why I really, really hope they record it. I don't know if they will or not. Yeah. Um, but really yeah, I think. I think the oh. thing that would stop them is if they record it and then put it on in cinemas in America. Would people then go and see it on Broadway? They probably would. Um, but especially That's if they only true. do one yeah, screening and no one calls. Um, but yeah, I think. Mean, uh, yeah, I. I I don't see why they wouldn't record it. If they don't, it's probably a rights thing. And maybe it's true. I, I have seen a couple of shows that I've seen quite a lot of the MT live screenings, but I think the National Theatre is a lot easier to film. Could be wrong. But with that straight on proceeding in March, I think it could be quite tricky. Um, but the, I mean, the way they direct those MT live screenings is pretty extraordinary. So I'm sure they'd make it work. I'm sure it'd be absolutely fine. If they can do that magnificent yeah. time travel effect, they can record it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind 
Sam Clement being a little bit closer to me. <laughs> <laughs> They're all disappointingly short. I went, I happened, I went round to the I stage know. door. And I bumped into a couple of people that I knew or like know from the, the Harry Potter circuit. It's ridiculous. You go to some of these events and you start recognizing everyone. Um, and, uh, <laughs> There was, um, I ended up near the front, not entirely sure how, and they were all coming out and signing stuff. I didn't get Jamie Parker, so I might have to go back. And it was astonishingly how small, (laughs) how small Anthony was. I know. Well, I... Really tiny. (laughs) I I think I've said that. I thought he was 14, actually. (laughs) So I, I was so upset, and I was like, dang it. And then I found out he was 22, and I was like... I should have gone to the stage door. I should have done it. And I didn't do it. And then I found out he was at least two inches shorter than me. And then I was disappointed again. But (laughs) it's fine. Let's just be friends. (laughs) Anyway. Dashing Allison's hopes and dreams. Yeah, all of them. All of them. Um, Well, hopes and dreams. Let's talk about is the story, just briefly. Because we're going to get into this on our main episodes of A Love More, but is is the story all of our hopes and dreams? Did the premise work? Thoughts? Mary, do you want to go first? <laughs> all right, so um, I would have to say um, the two-part thing was a little bit strange. Like, for one thing, the two-part thing is relatively uncommon for theater, like, to have it structured the way that Cursed Child is structured um i feel like seeing it um all on the same day really helped i know um sophie you had said that you had seen it like um part one and then part two um separately so i would be curious to know your thoughts on this as well but um just in terms of um how ridiculously long um it was i felt like um, there were some things they probably could have cut down for the sake of brevity. Yeah, that's pretty much my exact thoughts on it, mm-hmm. is uh, the time travel I will buy for the sake of nostalgia, and it works. I can understand why, for theatre reasons, they have to do flashbacks and bring you characters you know, because they can't sell this show out for years and years and years just on people who know the books inside out as much as we would love to think they can um there are people who like my mom was trying to get tickets she's seen two of the films and been to the studio tour once like it needs to be (laughs) people need to get it so i bought the time travel as kind of a fine i did not and will not on any level get on board the delphi character uh and as a result and because they're like the second half was a bit shorter part two is isn't that long uh and because there is a lot of movement scenes in so many movement scenes in that second part um that i think they could have scrapped delphi plotline still had all the time travel um because ultimately the the whole like having an evil thingy is just kind of not needed because it's about harry's demons it's about albus's demons it's about them struggling with that past i think that was enough i don't think you need an evil baddie to come along um i think they could have scrapped that and i think you need someone to kick that off because i feel like so I, I do kind of hate Delphi's parentage. I think it was, they should have done it better. I think her herself as a character, she was, she intrigued me a lot because she felt a little Barty Crouch Jr. to me, which I think was a character that makes for a good kind of antagonist that brings, that kind of dredges up these things that should have been left in the past. Um and so she herself didn't really bother me, but I, I kind of see where you're coming from with with some of that. 
yeah, I feel like uh, I I generally had forgotten about her by the time part two started. And she just she, when she first appeared, I was like, I've seen this character on stage on the British theatre stage so many times. She is Scaramouche from uh, We Are Rock You. She's every sodding like cool alternative girl on the stage. Like she just with the streak of hair, the 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 boots. Like I've seen that character so much. I was like, yawn. We've got one of them. Oh, she's going to be a love interest. Right. And then she went. I was like, great. And I completely forgot about her. And then when it came back, I uh, just, and I don't think for me as well, the actors just didn't work for me. And I, I, I would say that's mainly the script and the plot. Uh, I don't want to put it all on her. Um, but I think they could have found, and they spent a lot of time working on this plot. I think they could have found a way to do the time travel without that. And I think dredging Cedric Diggory up really upset me. I was like, leave him, leave him to be. Um, and it just it leave was Cedric alone. Yeah, I I thought that was very <laughs> odd. So, uh, yeah, I think it could have uh, for me it could have worked as one show. I I love seeing more than one play in a day. Like I went and camped out in the National Theatre a couple of years ago to see all three of the James plays from the National Theatre of Scotland. Um, and I the Wolf Hall shows I saw both them in one day. I loved it. But what worked for all those is that they are separate shows. Uh, that can be seen in isolation or you can see them all in one go or you can see them mix and match. They work in order and they are better in order and you get the full experience, but you could see them individually. And that's what I was hoping from this. I was hoping it'd be two separate shows that it'd be better to see them together. And part one kind of makes more sense than part two, but I didn't want a cliffhanger. And the fact that I don't know what they did for you, Sophie. I imagine they had a curtain call, but if you saw it in one day, they didn't have a curtain call in the middle and they just had a screen come down no, saying to be continued. They didn't. They didn't. They just left. Oh, really? Oh they my just God. left. No and, like, no problems or anything. They just left, and we were like, oh, is that it? It was very weird. We never left a theatre with them not doing a curtain call. So, yeah, that was weird. <laughs> that is bizarre. That's so yeah, strange. Three days, so... it was. I quite liked having that much time to let it all sink in. But, yeah, that was weird, the curtain call thing. Um, I still don't yeah. know how you did it without dying at that cliffhanger though because yeah three hours was bad enough i walked back to the train station to say what (laughs) what was that (laughs) um it was very yeah but it did mean i had a lot of time to think about it and kind of process my thoughts a bit more i guess i don't i yeah i can imagine it was quite intense in one day um but it definitely meant i thought of them as two quite separate things so Part two felt very different, I thought, to part one. Part one was definitely stronger, I think. And I don't know, the best moments of the whole thing were... Because once that storyline got ridiculous, and I like bits of it, but <laughs> the best moments were kind of the little moments between, like, Harry and Albus or Albus and Scorpius and just the little things that worked really well, I thought. And, um yeah thought it was quite interesting the divide between the two bits speaking of moments then let's let's talk about our favorite moment as we kind of start start wrapping this up a little bit um mine i i chose one that was very i think based on production um because in the script it's like kind of a throwaway thing where it's they're in godrick's hollow and it's when albus uh it's when lily comes out with harry in the pram and is like tucking him in with the blanket and she and albus kind of see each other And in the script, it's just like, oh, like, they just look at each other and then she walks away. But there was so much going on on that stage. They just, to kind of describe it, they kind of, they stop 
they both just stop and they just kind of stare at each other. And you just see, you, first of all, you see Lily almost recognize Albus in a way, um, because obviously he looks a bit like James. He looks like Harry, um, James, older James, I guess. Um, this Lily Pot, this Lily Potter's husband. Um, and I just thought it was so, it was this beautiful moment where you see her kind of recognize him and you see Albus kind of finally understanding where he fits into the scheme of things in a lot of ways. Um, as he looks at, oh, like, this is my grandmother who I, I never knew. I've just heard about her. She's kind of become this legend. Um, that's my dad, like as a baby, it, it was, it was just such a beautiful moment. And, um, so much of just that, that nuance that I think really makes Alba such a great character as he kind of finds himself. Um, so that was, that was one of my favorites. I think that was production wise. That was my favorite. That's such a heavy, beautiful moment. Mine are all just like, it was pretty. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, the immediate, that moment where you suddenly get whipped into the wizarding world, which is the jackets becoming capes. I just, it was so, it was just simple theatricality that I loved. Uh, time travel, I've raved on about it as much as I can. Storylines aside, that map, it, the projections were just brilliant. And uh, Mary's already said it, but uh, Scorpius's line, my geeknesses are quivering. I need that as a gift. <laughs> like, if they don't record it, just can they just please record Anthony Will delivering that line? Because it was just, it's the squeak before it as well. It's just, it's just brilliant. It, like, had me cracking up. And it's one of the, those, those scenes like that and moments that I've just been playing over and over, been like, no, I want to see that bit again. I don't want to see the rest that happened before it, but that bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a really good moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, the f- I have lots of like favourite little moments, like that line and things, but the one that came to mind straight away was the Polyjuice moment scene, just from the moment I'm taking yes. it and then into the ministry. Um, that was definitely a highlight. Um, I also, But I also really liked... Um, just Albus and Scorpius meeting on the train and the hype that Rose has put onto the meeting and then just them meeting each other and just thinking, yeah, this is, <laughs> we're going to be friends. And I, I thought that was really nice. Set up the whole thing nicely. I have to echo what Sophie just said about the polyjuice. I think the polyjuice was exceptionally well done. Um, not only in the um, special effects in terms of what we had talked about earlier, but also um, in the trio actors' ability to pick up the, um, I guess, the kids' trio, if you want to call them that, um, Albus Scorpius and um, Delphi, um, if you want to um, refer to them as the kids, I guess. Um, like, pick up their mannerisms and how they, like, going from oh, yeah, you know, we're, you know, teenagers, young adults, whatever, to, oh, you know, we're middle-aged ministry um, officials in an office, like, having to kind of navigate that. It was, it was like watching um, the whole Bellatrix thing with Hermione and Gringotts with um, Helena Bonham Carter and um, Emma Watson's mannerisms with that whole, that's what it reminded me of, was that whole scene. Yeah. And the, yeah. Actually, that whole yeah. bookshelf scene was hilarious. It was so well done. Oh, it was oh, so the good. Sh- the library, yeah. Mm. That's another, with that's the, another thing with that. With the slides, too. Yeah. 
the the stage just really brought that out. I mean, that was brilliant with just everyone kind of the way they like had the actors hiding in the bookshelf so that they could switch out who was who. That was that was amazing. I I really enjoyed that scene and I I think that could have come off as really tacky or yeah. otherwise, but just the way the production had it working worked so well for me. It was one of those scenes that felt so reminiscent of the series. It felt like their exploration into the uh, the the Ministry of Magic in Order of Phoenix and you know, they're in and the yeah. the um Department of Mysteries and they're sort of like before it all gets a bit serious, the fun bit of going into like all the different areas. It felt like that. That was I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. Well, let's ask a quick question to kind of round it out. Quick fire, is it canon? <laughs> I'm picking and choosing. <laughs> Some of it. Oh, yes. Gosh. Yeah. I really <laughs> uh... <laughs> I don't know where I this am is a on tough this. One. <laughs> like I say the first fifteen minutes is canon. <laughs> and then and then the odd moment after that. <laughs> As a whole, I would have to say no, it is not canon. And Keith will be very proud to hear that. No, it is not canon. I say it's as much of canon as the films, where at the very end of Deathly Hallows Part Two, Snape goes into the Godric's Hollow and he's crying over Lily's dead body in that atrocious scene. Um, it's it's <laughs> on that kind of level of like it kind of happened. It's part of this like mishy-mashy, and I'm actually going to quote Doctor Who timey-wimey universe that is Harry <laughs> Potter. It's not part of the books, but it's part of that world, and I think only f- fans like us will actually get what people mean by that. I don't think it's as regimented as yeah. canon and not canon. It's part of it. It's present. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd agree with that, I think. I, I feel like it is I part of it, and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's kind of where I'm at, too. Um, but we are actually, listeners, going to have another special bonus episode where we're going to talk about this in the canon debate. Um, so look forward to that one soon. We just have so many episodes we're doing about this. I think <laughs> we're going to have six total, um, all about Cursed Child. So lucky you. <laughs> and I have to say, that's been, for me, the best bit about Cursed Child. Like it or loathe it. And much of it I loathed. But I've had more conversations about Harry Potter. It's considering that I have worked with MuggleNet for four years, I've had more conversations about Harry Potter in the last two weeks than I have in like years, in like the last ten years. Like I think since the last, I remember having like debates on trains with friends when the last book came out, and I'm having the same debates now. Like I rearranged yeah. a dinner date with a friend just so we could talk about Cursed Child, and that's <laughs> exciting. There's new content, whether we like it or not. There's new content. <laughs> Yeah, it is. No, it's exciting. It's interesting. Obviously, some people are seeing it. Some people, not everyone can. Obviously, some people just reading it, and the way that makes everyone's reactions different. And yeah, it's quite been quite interesting. Um, and also, people seeing it staggered times, so you can't all consume it at once. Which, yeah, but no, it's yeah. so good everyone's talking about harry potter (laughs) it is is it's so nice it's fun to be it's fun to be for me at least i was too young kind of when the books were coming out to really be kind of ingrained in fandom so it's nice for me to kind of be experiencing this for the same for the first time to kind of know that there's like a community out there that's really excited and that we can have these debates and that it's not just me 
<laughs> yeah, and just going back to the whole theatre thing, it was amazing being in a theatre, obviously full of Harry Potter fans, and just the atmosphere as it began, yeah. and the reaction to all the things, the gasps, the laughs, the sort of, yeah, it was amazing sort of being there for that kind of reaction. And then also the sort of awestruck feeling of walking out of there too. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What were the biggest gasps? And there's a slight sidetrack, but what were the biggest gasps for you guys in your show? Because for, uh, for the show I saw, it was the Never Long Bottom is dead. Uh, oh, yeah. Diggory killed him. That was pretty big uh, in odds. Was, oh, <laughs> that wow. was my God. <laughs> the level one. Um, the big reveal about Delphi, that one got a lot. Um, I think S- S- Snape as well, people kind of gasped. It was quite a big gasp. I think Umbridge, when Umbridge came out, a lot oh, yeah. of people freaked out um, in my in my show, at least. Yeah, there were there were a lot of moments that, that I think that it's one of those things where this keep the secrets did a very good job um, yeah. in that there were things that nobody was expecting. And so when they came out, it just took everyone by complete surprise. Um, it was I kind of had that feeling as well when you obviously when you read a book you can skim over bits if it's sort of too much or you can put it down and walk away. I just had that feeling. I think it was, I can't remember which part, maybe the Dementors or something. I was like, oh. I can't walk away from this and I don't want this to happen and I have to stay in this seat and watch it happen. Yeah. And oh, that, that just feeling of being there and not being able to stop it for a bit. <laughs> How did we not talk Those about Dementors the Dementors were... <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. Those Dementors were... Me Me too. I closed my eyes. Like, I just could not even Mm. look at them. Because they're flying around the audience. And one of them got... We were kind of near the front of the the balcony. And one of them just gets close. And I was just like, nope, not looking. Not going to watch. This is not going to happen. And it was... They were terrifying. They were. We were kind of near the back of the stools. And I just remember saying to my friend, I'm so glad we're not near the front because I couldn't be there (laughs) with them. Actually, also, when Voldemort walks down into the auditorium, on stage, I didn't find it that scary, but I was in the aisle. And when he walked past me and, like, his cloak almost touched me, I was like, okay, no, I'm unnerved now. This is creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That moment, um, nobody was quite sure it was going to happen. So up in the balcony, everyone was like leaning over the railing because yeah. everyone was trying to watch where he was going and what was going to happen. And it was just, oh, it was really funny and terrifying because it was, there was just so much tension right then. Yeah, he was, he was scary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, as, as you can tell, we have a lot to talk about in our next episodes coming up. So Thank you so much, Claire and Sophie and Mary, for joining me in talking about this. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Cheers. Yeah. It's good to chat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so much to say. <laughs> Lots of fun. Just a reminder, we will yeah. be doing four episodes, one for each act on Alohomora, um, where we're going to be diving in depth. And those are coming up, starting with episode 200 which is our next official episode to release. So Episode to 200 of Alohomora. Oh my gosh. Yes, <laughs> that is oh, so neat. 200. It's amazing. Yeah, it's we're really lucky that Cursed Child came out when it did and things have just li- neatly lined up perfectly um, for this. Well, until next time, I guess, until we see you guys again, I'm Alison Sigurd. 
I'm Claire Ferner. I'm Sophie Reed. And I'm Mary Wojcicki. Thank you for listening to this special bonus episode of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore to the stage.